Amen. This past week, uh, we were able to get away. Finally, it felt like a long run, and my family was able to get away. My oldest is in Florida, and so we were able to go out and visit her. Uh, and, and then on, on the way home, if, you've, if you're from Oklahoma for any amount of time, you may have experienced that it is sometimes not easy flying back to Oklahoma. Uh, it is not always easiest to get flights back. So we're in the airport and suddenly like the world is falling apart. And let's just pause right there for a second. If you have any notion that flying is still glamorous the way like the 50s portray it and stuff, like there's nothing glamorous about flying these days. It is, it is like where you see the decay of society all in one place at the airport. And so we haven't flown for a while and then we're in the airport, which is just a complete crazy town show. Uh, and then your flight cancels and everything changes, right? That's, that was our experience this week. And, and so, like, the whole thing starts to go. It, it creates chaos for schedules, for transportation, for even down to my dog. Like, what are we going to do with our dog that's at home? Like, it just creates all sorts of chaos. And then on top of it, like, what we find is that it isn't just our flight that's delayed. It's the whole airport is closing. And now you feel it. It's like get off of planet Earth. It's like there are three spaceships left to exit and you have to get on one. That's where I found myself this week. I'm standing at the gate with a ticket in hand for uh, an airline that I need to get on, and they're like, no, sir, you're not getting on that. There's few things like it, right? There, there's the outside looking in where you're saying, I have to be there, and I'm not. And you just feel that. Like all my worst impulses start to come out. Everything in there, like all the feelings, all the, the like childhood stuff of you're not good enough or you're not there, all the times where you feel like you weren't picked or whatever, like all of those kind of gut level instincts start to come when you feel like you're on the outside looking in. And, and I, I think that this actually is really pertinent because our text has this inside outside dichotomy that's at play through all of it. And while nothing in our text takes place in an airport, nothing takes place in the fallout of an airport and the human just like decay that is happening in an airport, it is kind of touching on all these themes. Your family, there's chaos, there's, there, there's change, and there's those on the outside and those on the inside. And what we want to do is just take a good look at, at what's happening in this text to see the, the theme that goes through everything that we've been talking over the past few weeks. We're in Mark. We're going to be in Mark. And, and this theme that comes up again and again and again, that this king has come. And that changes everything. And maybe you've been around church for a long time and you've heard about a king and you've heard about Jesus and he's something different. But it hasn't changed everything in your life. And friend, if that's you, I just want you to know, like, you're missing something. You're, you're missing something. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. That just means I, I, I want to help you take a good look at who Jesus is, what he claims to be, and how the scriptures lay out this long story of this beautiful grace that he offers. If he's just a good guy in your life, I, I just want to humbly tell you, like, he's actually a lot more, and he, he offers you a lot more than that. 
So I, I just want us to jump into this passage and think about it. This passage is one that has a lot going on. There's actually three stories in what we read today, and it gets distracting for us a lot of times. Sometimes we come back and we just reduce it down to a house divided. And we start to think about like, uh, oh, wait, I, I know that story. There's a, a store at the mall about a house divided. Well, it's like all these things that go on. Uh, and what happens a lot of time is that we just come to it and we talk about, whoa, be united with your wife or your kids and, and be making the same decisions. And we just come to it with really practical things to do instead of seeing the big picture that's happening. It is in here. This story does talk about a house divided. There are practical applications, but if that's all we do is look at the practical aspects of the house divided or who's a strong man or what's, a, what's the greatest sin, all those things miss the point. They miss the point. And you can find out about how to be united with your wife from almost any self-help book that you could find on Amazon. What the Bible is offering is something so much more it's talking about something so much more. And so those things are real and they're in here. But I, I hope that you'd see that Jesus is actually bringing this really beautiful gospel message. He's really bringing this hope. And he's talking specifically to people who are on the outside or feel like they're on the outside or are deceived to think that they're, they're someplace else. He's talking to people who feel like they're far from him or, or not sure what's going on. And he's saying, everything's changed. You're welcome with me. And I think he tells that to these people and he tells it to us today as well. And so in that, let's jump into this text. There are three stories. They book in with uh, the family. His family shows up in the first story. His family shows up in the last story. And in between the scribes, the religious leaders from Jerusalem come to, to check out what's going on, to inspect, so to speak, to make sure it's all in the up and up and everything's going on. And, and we want to see this, and we're going we're to take it a little bit out of order. I, We'll take the two family uh, aspects of it, the two family accounts, and, and then we'll come back and, and we'll tie it all together looking at what happens in between. So pick it up with me in verse 20. Then he went home. Jesus, he went home. And, and again, this is most likely Capernaum. He went, he went back there. He went to Capernaum and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went on to seize him. For they were saying he is out of his mind. Now catch this. He went home to this place that, he, that he, his base of ministry at this point. It's crowded. It gives a detail in there. Mark gives so many little details that help us. It's crowded to the point where they can't even eat. Where they're so crowded, their elbows are in. They can't pass anything. They're, they're all right there. And, and they're, they're just so crammed in there. And then who shows up but his family? It says that his family has come and that they think he's crazy. <laughs> he's out of his mind. This guy is out of his mind. That's, that's actually what's happening right here in this moment. And, and here it is. Just get in your head. We're talking about Jesus' family who was with him from the beginning. We're, we're talking about one in particular, Mary. Imagine the pressure that she was under. The, the moments of faith and the moments of doubt. The moments where she remembered that moment 
with the angel, but the, all the dark moments where she's like, am I crazy? And now this Jesus is not what I expected. This is what's happening right here. Now, let's skip down verse 31 and, and, and get this second account. In verse 31, it says this, And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And called him. So his family has come. Catch this. His family is standing outside. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is inside with the people. And who are the people? They're, they're what we know from scripture. These are the beat up. These are the, the scandalous ones. These are the ones that the world calls sinners. These are the ones that are, are most likely not the A team, so to speak. These aren't the ones that are going to make the cut for varsity level uh, followers. These are the ones that uh, are on the outside of society. These are the ones that uh, nobody wants to deal with. And yet Jesus Jesus is right there with them. That's where Jesus is. And what is he doing? He's ministering. He's bringing the kingdom right here in the midst of all these people. And he's ministering to them. And here's Mary and his family outside. And what are they doing? They called him. Hey, get that. Jesus is the one who's been calling. Jesus called the disciples. Jesus has called others to himself. Jesus is the one who does the calling. And we'll see that again. But Jesus is the one that does the calling. And yet now they're calling him. And what are they calling him to? They're calling him to stop what he's doing. Well, here it moves on to this really scandalous section right here. Verse 32, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here, here in this room, are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Friends, Jesus just turned everything upside down. And this is one of those things that's sometimes hard for us to get, especially if you grew up in the West. If you grew up here where it's like, yeah, I get it. That's, that's different. He's like, his family's bigger now. It's different now. He's kind of changed roles. But in this world, in this culture, in this context and time, specifically, like he has changed the rules of the game. The king has come and changed everything because family isn't just your biological set Family is who you live with. Family is who you do life with. Family is everything. And we have a ton. We are blessed as a church to have so many brothers and sisters in Christ who are uh, of South Asian Indian descent. 
We have, we have a ton of brothers and sisters here, and, and they could really help us on this, understanding family. And, and others from different non-Western cultures really help us understand of what it looks like, good and bad, uh, of a family context, which isn't just like, hey, you've got these people in your life, and sometimes they speak into it. No, family are, are people that you walk with and that speak into your life and that are doing things that are actually culture, and it brings, it, it brings so much glory and shame at times. What Jesus has just done is changed all the rules. And to Mary and, and the brothers that are out there, that's shameful. This is really scandalous stuff that's happening. Jesus just turned it all upside down and he's doing something unthinkable. He's reframing family and he's saying, no, no, no. The ones that are in the family are the ones that are doing the will of God. And right now, Mary's outside, and his brothers are outside asking him to stop the mission of God. He just changed everything. Mark set up this thing. He set up a picture here that's going to serve us in the next few chapters, in the next few weeks. He set up this, this picture of there are those standing outside, and then there are those inside. And right here in this moment, we, we need to see it, that Jesus is talking to these people inside with him. And he's like, this is going to cost you. This is different. And even if, if it's your family outside who thinks you're crazy, following after Jesus is worth everything. It's worth everything. Notice what he says. Notice as we turn our attention back and we'll, we'll go back to that uh, account in the middle of Jesus with the scribes because all of these kind of have a thread running through it. All of these are working together. His family comes and tells him that you've lost your mind. You are out of your mind. And now the scribes are going to come and they're going to say, you are working for the prince of darkness is what you're doing. Like there's a thread that comes through all of these. Notice what's happening here in this account. Verse 22 says this, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And you see, the early church didn't just make this stuff up. It didn't just like, they, they weren't just thinking like, how do, we, how do we really turn this into a big Marvel style story? Like people really couldn't explain what was happening. People really couldn't explain how people were being healed, how people were being set free, how people's lives were changed, how a group of fishermen who were uneducated and, and maybe didn't have everything going for them, how these guys were changing the world and, and they were following after one. They just couldn't explain all this. And so people were like, that dude's got to be out of his mind. And then the religious people show up and they're like, he's not just out of his mind. He's working for the prince of demons. Did you see what's happening? Jesus is ministering, and they're accusing him of working for the devil. That's, that's the context for what we're dealing with here. So now, notice the response of Jesus. We'll pick it up in verse 23. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. See, that's really important for us. This strong man talk is really important. Who's the strong man? Who's the strong man that comes in? Somebody, somebody has to come and bind the strong man. I want you to notice a couple of things in here. At the very beginning of it, in verse 23, it shows us, and he called them. Who who is it? Jesus called his accusers to himself. He calls them. He says, come in here. Come into this place. Those who are on the outside throwing out their accusations, those who are on the outside, Jesus actually, this verse tells us, he calls them. He calls them. And it's not a summons like, hey, we need to have a talking to. We need to get some things straight. It's not Jesus like laying the law down. This word used here for call is the exact same word that's used when Jesus calls his disciples. Catch that. These people who were opposed (laughs) to what Jesus is doing. These people who are accusing Jesus of of working for the prince of darkness, Jesus invites, he calls them, come in and see, come and experience grace, come and and hear this king, come and, and receive the love of the Father. This is also the same word, the same word that is used to call right here and with the disciples is the same word that Luke uses when he describes Jesus said, call these kids, let these little children come to me. When Jesus calls the little ones to come to him, this is the word that he uses. This isn't just uh, a talking down. This isn't Jesus is going to show them. No, Jesus is inviting them to the feast. Jesus is inviting them to himself. Jesus is inviting them to all of it. And he offers a different account of what's going on. Jesus, in this passage, he talks about no one can come into the strong man's house and not bind him first. Well, what's he talking about? We've already discussed, we've already gone through John the Baptist talking about when Jesus shows up, like he's not even fit. John the Baptist isn't even fit to tie his sandals. That This one is greater. This one is coming. John the Baptist is talking about this one is coming who is greater and different than anything else that has come. We, all, we also heard about Jesus going into the desert and, it, and facing temptation upon temptation upon temptation. He faced the strong man and he bound him. You see, what, what Jesus is saying is that he's not working for the enemy. He has Bound the enemy. He's come into this world and conquered. 
that the stronger one has come. The king of kings has come. And everything changes. Everything has different. The stronger one has arrived. The one is, he's found the house. He, he has bound the, the strong man that, it was, that was there. And now everything is different. You see, their sin, the sin that's happening here, the sin that gets us so distracted and tied in knots. Maybe you're like uh, friends of mine who've been so tied up wondering, have I committed the uh, unforgivable sin? Have I committed the sin that's being spoken here that is like so bad that it could never be forgiven by God? I've had friends and loved ones who have been tied in knots where they've come to church time and time again and wondered and always left fearful that all their best efforts would end in nothing. You see, the sin that's being addressed here, the sin that can't be forgiven, is that in the presence of God's grace, they've not only rejected it, but given all of of the work to the prince of the demons. They're actually saying that what Jesus is doing is done by the devil. You see, the the sin that is being addressed is is that what God is actually doing is not done by God. Think about it as if, like, why is it unforgivable? It would be like the, the doctor, if a doctor showed up to deal with your sickness, to deal with your, your, whatever is happening inside you, the, the stuff that you can't fix, and you suddenly thought that the, the healer that had come was there to poison and hurt you. You're not going to find healing. You're not going to find recovery. You're not going to get better because you're rejecting the one who has come to help. Well, the the Bible describes our condition as so much worse. We're not people who are in need of healing. We're in people who need to be raised from the dead. The Bible tells us that you are dead in your sins. You're dead in your trespasses. And and no amount of good works, no amount of good deeds or, or nice thoughts are going to fix your problem. You need one who is stronger than the strongman, one who is stronger than life and death. You and I need one who can actually raise the dead. The sin that can't be forgiven is is rejecting the healer. Rejecting the one who can raise the dead. It's no surprise that these people struggled to find grace. That those who thought that they were on the inside of the religious system actually found themselves on the outside trying to stop what God was doing. They were trying to stop it. It isn't that God gets particularly angry at a handful of sins. It's that God makes really clear that if you reject the healer, there's no healing to be found. There's only one way. And Jesus is here bringing these broken and busted up people. He's bringing them those those who know that they'll never be good enough, those who who can't fix themselves, he's sitting with them and he's offering them the kingdom. He's offering them the kingdom. And, And right here is where we tend to get twisted up. 
We tend to read this passage and we think about a house divided. Am I on the same page with my wife or my kids? Am I doing this? Or, or, or are we keeping all the peace in this while missing what is being said? Sometimes we get twisted up around that unforgivable sin. Am I, am I in danger of that? And the only question that you need to be thinking of is, do you know the healer? Do you know the stronger one that has come? Because he is the only way. He's not just a nice guy. He's not just a, a guy who will help clean up your life. He's not a, a guy to make you more presentable. He's your only hope. And he's my only hope as well. You see, there, what often happens in churches is that we come and we, we, we clean ourselves up real well and, and maybe we're regular attenders and there's no visible sin. And so then we start to feel like, oh, I've got this together, I'm pretty good. And the reality is each and every one of us need Jesus. He is the only way. And apart from Jesus, all of us are on the outside. But notice what is happening. Notice what is happening Jesus right here to these accusers, to these people who are living just a religious life but not walking with God, to these who would have come to stop him and will ultimately plot to kill him, notice what Jesus does. He says, come. He calls them and invites them to come. And he even says this. He says, all sins will be forgiven the children of man in whatever blasphemies they utter. See, even these people, even these people totally opposed to what he's doing, at odds and fighting him every step of the way, Jesus invites to come. Jesus invites to step inside with him. You do not have to stay outside. Come inside. Come inside and experience this grace. He is eager to forgive any and all sin. He is the living proof of the altogether glorious and amazing forgiveness of God. He cleanses thoroughly and never holds back. He doesn't hold grudges. And he's also not giving permission for us to sin. He doesn't excuse sin and say, oh, I'll forgive everything and just go on and do whatever you want to. He's not giving permission for you to sin. And yet he said, there's nothing that you've done that would keep you out. Come. Jesus, the king, the stronger one, he has come and he has changed everything. He changed family. He changed the way our systems work. He, he changes everything. And he says that there's nothing to keep you away from God. Come. And I believe that if, if Jesus holds out this possibility that even the teachers uh, of the law, those who were opposed to him, those who were uh, fighting against him, even if he holds out the possibility to them, he holds out the possibility to you and me as well. Yeah. 
And so my question is, where do you feel on the outside from God? Where do you feel like God wouldn't draw you near? Where are the areas in your life in which you feel like, I I can only come this close, I can only come this far? Where are those areas of shame in which you you so struggle to name and you're afraid that if God or others knew about it, that you would never be invited near? Where is that secret sin that you've you've longed to shake but have, have struggled so much? Where is that brokenness in your life, that anger or that fear, that anxiety or that guilt? Where are are the aspects in your life in which you continue to hold on and pull back? Afraid that God couldn't receive you for that. How about this? Where's the doubt What's the doubt that you would put your finger on and that you just need to ask God and say, God, can you handle this? Where are the spots that God is inviting you to come inside his house? To come inside his house. Will you bow your heads with me?